Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to therealrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And rescueswimmershop.com, official high quality apparel featuring the silhouette. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With the certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment. All you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Mention this podcast, The Real Rescue Podcast, and they'll take care of the rest. 15 years ago, photographer and Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 526, Chris Razor, created an iconic photograph. This photograph depicted the silhouette of a helicopter rescue swimmer reaching down for an outstretched hand in need against the American flag backdrop. The image went viral and became a symbol worldwide for the rescue community and the people they help. Its wild popularity inspired Chris to launch RescueSwimmerShop.com, a web store offering official high-quality apparel featuring his evocative image, The Silhouette. T-shirts, hats, patches, and stickers featuring The Silhouette are available at RescueSwimmerShop.com, including the flagship design, So Others May Live. Follow Chris and his story on Instagram with the handle at Rescue Swimmer Shop. And if you are a rescue swimmer, support rescue swimmers, or just tell people you are one at the bar, this gear is definitely for you. When you get to the website, rescueswimmershop.com, enter the promo code, all lowercase, one word, rescue, R-E-S-C-U-E, for 10% off your order. Things I Learned from Falling, a memoir by Claire Nelson. Prelude. I remember the sound my body made as it hit the ground. A sharp crack, one that cut through the thump of my weight against the desert floor. Then the white heat of pain that stabbed through my body, escaping through my mouth in an almighty howl. I tried to scramble to my feet, the instinctive reaction to falling, but I couldn't get up. Everything below the arms remained a dead weight. Get up. I heaved my head and shoulders forward, trying to prise myself off the ground. But each time I crumpled, again and again and again. Something in my body was disconnected. Urgent messages were being fired from the brain, but they weren't getting through. Only pain. Unbearable, indescribable pain. A scorching flame gun that set me alight with each attempt to move. I lay there flat on my back, my breathing fast and my heart pounding. I craned my neck to get a look at my legs. I couldn't lift them either or bend my knees. Oh God, oh God, please no. My feet were also immovable 
weighed to the desert floor, but I found with intense concentration I could lean them slightly from side to side. I gently wiggled my toes inside my boots. Okay, I wasn't paralyzed. That was something. I felt a strange flicker of hope through the pain and panic. A sense of, I'm going to be alright. But my pelvis was broken. That much was clear. Shattered was actually the word that kept coming to my mind. More than a break, it felt like there were pieces. Every time I tried to sit up, it felt like someone had replaced my hip bones with a bag of broken dinner plates. Shards jangling loosely so my shoulders could do nothing but slump back to the ground. As realization of the extent of my injuries set in, so did the cold tingle of shock, and my teeth began to chatter uncontrollably. Like wind-up dentures, a violently loud clacking inside my head. Help. My day pack had dislodged from my shoulder when I had fallen, but thankfully within reach. I yanked it towards me, scrambling in the front pocket for my iPhone, my hands shaking as I dialed 911. All the while, my brain raced to scramble a request together. An ambulance, right? I needed an ambulance. Some medical aid. Any medical aid. I needed help. Out of the corner of my eye, on the screen pressed to my ear, I saw words flash up. Call failed. No, 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 no. I dialed again. Call failed. I checked the phone and saw I had zero bars. A horrifying and crushing realization hit me with the full force of its weight. I have no service out here. My stomach lurched. Of course I'm out of range. I'm in the middle of the California desert. It's why I had my phone tucked away in the rucksack. I wouldn't need it here. Except now I did need it. And I had no other means of communication. You fucking idiot! roared the voice inside my head, now dark and furious. How had I been so stupid? No, no, this had to work. This couldn't be happening. Clinging desperately to denial, I held the phone up high in every direction I could, whispering silent pleas for a miracle as my heart banged loudly in my chest. My eyes locked on the corner of the iPhone screen where the little bars would normally be. I was miles from a signal, miles from the road, miles into the middle of nowhere. I knew I was out of luck. I knew. Yet I couldn't stop trying. And with each redial, each attempt to reach out to someone, anyone, any other human being on this planet, just let someone know that I was here and I was hurt, the absolute fertility of it sank in deeper. With each press of the button, my hope melted into cold fear. Call failed. Redial. Call failed. Redial. Call failed. Redial. Call failed. I screamed into the sky as loudly as I could. Help me! Please! And I heard the echoes dissolve into the rocks around me, absorbed like raindrops until all that was left was silence. It just so happens to be that our next guest is the author of Things I Learned from Falling, and she goes into even more detail than what the book does. And we get a great conversation because us from the rescue side, or my world from the rescue side, I get to explain a little bit of what we're doing in the helicopter or what we're doing in a search and rescue. So her and I get to feed off each other and we learn stuff together. It was a great conversation. So please welcome Miss Claire Nelson. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue Podcast. Uh, you know what, guys? Today, today's crazy for me. I am beyond stoked to have our next guest here. And uh, you know, before you go too far into this episode, I'm going to recommend you go back to uh, episode 44 with Mike Calhoun um, and, and just kind of get into that episode for a little bit because he talks about this incredible woman who's got a book out, 
The book is called Things I Learned from Falling. Her name is Miss Claire Nelson. What's up, Miss Claire Nelson? Hi, Jason. Oh, you're very kind. <laughs> That's a great well, intro. You, you, you're, you're incredible is what you are because the story and everything about you, your book, even what Mike said is like, holy smoke. So, hi. Hi. I mean, <laughs> Thank I you for you coming guys- on. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think you guys are incredible. I'm, you know, I'm not special. So you guys are doing the incredible stuff out there. So, uh, you know, well, wow. Well, <laughs> well, thank you as well. I, you know, it's much appreciated on that. But, but you, your story, everything about it. And uh, before we get too far into it, if you don't mind, like, because now I, I know who you are. If anybody hasn't listened to this book or read the book, go, go get it, listen to it, read it, embrace it. And, and just learn from it. It's amazing. But uh, if you don't mind, just kind of introduce yourself to everybody, kind of a little bit who you are, a little bit of background of you. Well, I am a New Zealander, but I generally live in the UK in London. Um, I am a freelance writer, generally writing about travel, a bit about food. Um, and I, I love the outdoors. And so despite living in a very, very busy city where I don't get to go outdoors very much, it's, you know, I've become to learn over the years that being out in the wilderness is my happy place. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to think, of, <laughs> trying to think what else I can tell you about me. <laughs> well, let's say where you grew up in New Zealand, North or South? North Island. Yeah. Okay. So are you an Aucklander? I was born in Auckland, but then okay. I was raised, then I grew up. I grew up in Wellington, so uh, you know it's kind of uh, the the funny rivalry between Auckland and Wellington. It's it's I'm sort of split across the two. Oh, nice! All right, I get that. So I I mean I got friends over in in uh, Auckland, so I, I okay. We won't hold it against him. Or uh, <laughs> <laughs> now I'm talking to you now. So yeah, that's it. No, get her off. Yeah. All right. <laughs> So, I mean, you growing up in New Zealand, you, you've got like, I mean, Lord of the Rings was filmed in New Zealand. That's your backyard. What? Like, this is, yeah. This is the funny thing. I, I, I grew up in this very, very outdoorsy place. And yet I didn't appreciate it when I lived here. And I remember being from a young age, I was so keen to get out of New Zealand. And I know for anyone who's not from New Zealand, they're like, what is wrong with you? Like, why would you leave? <laughs> but I wanted to travel and see the world and I wanted big adventures and I wanted to be a writer and all of these things. It didn't really lend itself to living in this tiny little island in, in this kind of in the bottom of the world. So I was so keen to get out where I thought all the action was happening, you know, um, and it was really only when I was in the UK that I started uh, to kind of, because I think living in a city like London, where it's just so, you know, so full on all of the time, which is part of its, you know, magic. Um, yeah. I, I started to ex- appreciate getting out of the city and going into the, to walking the trails and doing a lot of hiking and things whenever I could. Um, but yeah, in New Zealand, it, it didn't, it was, it was, it seems strange. And, and people assume that that's kind of maybe something that, um, is where I found my love for the outdoors. But I think now, the more I think about it, um, being in the outdoors was sort of this natural, it wasn't a, it wasn't a concept to me. You just were outside a lot. You know, you yeah. go to, you walk to school on the beach. Yeah. You, know, you don't, you kind of, I'm always climbing trees. I got detention once for climbing too high in a tree. Um, <laughs> and so. So I'm talking know, about. <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, you're always clambering over rocks and in dunes and, and, and going up into the the bush tracks uh, behind in the, in the hills behind where we grew up and so it wasn't like oh I'm really into hiking it was just you mess around and you're always outside and you're getting dirty and so I'm thinking that really must be something that is deep down in in the roots of me yeah uh I I would say so with with everything you <laughs> <laughs> I mean heck even all oh, your writing and everything you've done you know uh but it, one of the things I I thought was great is not only were you the outdoorsy and, and hiking, like you were a little food blogger as well. And, <laughs> like, so you're eating at all these luxurious places and trying all this crazy food. And, Man, like, I, I don't even know how I ended up there sometimes, you know, like, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I was saying to you earlier before we recorded, uh, I, I feel like I'm winning things a lot of the time. It's kind of like, 
this looks interesting. Let's try this. Let's see where this road goes, um, which, you know, both metaphorically and, and as we'll <laughs> probably talk about later, it, it, something that I do maybe when I'm hiking, but it, you know, I was, yeah, I was living this life and it was like, wow, I'm, I'm a city person. I'm working for a magazine and, uh, I'm, you know, have the social media, you know, the boom of the social media presence and, right. and, and this sort of whole, so, you know, on the surface is life. It was very exciting. And I mean, it was very exciting. None of that was, was, uh, you know, insincere in that way, but, um, it, you know, at the crux of it, it, it wasn't a fulfilling lifestyle in the sense that it, it was very fleet. Everything was fleeting and momentary and competitive. Yeah. And it, you know, that it's not something that can really, um, make you feel like it's worth the amount of time and stress that goes into it. Yeah. And you talk about that in your book quite a bit, actually, as you're yeah. Yeah. laying in the desert, Right. A lot of time to think. <laughs> so uh, I'll tell you what, let, let's get into that a little bit. So, yeah. All right. I, again, I know what the book is about um, without ruining it for everybody. I'm, I'm going to tell everybody again and again and again, go listen to it, go read it, go buy it. The story is incredible. Um, but give it, give everybody a rundown, like what's the book about? And then we'll, we'll get into some, a couple of the details and then, so bottom line is you are a survivor and that is why you are here with me today on site. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's, I mean, yeah, I, it, it, it's such a crazy story in that it, it is two parts of this book. Um, so the book's about kind of about my life in London and sort of this idea of, you know, the, the life that we try and present to other people versus our, you know, real selves and how these, you know, trying to, value one over the other can end up making us feel very isolated and alone and this idea that we need to kind of be able to you know not lean on anyone else for help and and this is all very much part of uh, both a New Zealand mindset and I think in a, in a, a British mindset that I'd kind of fallen into and I found myself very lonely so it's talking about that side of my life but then also how that drove me to seek the thing that makes me really happy which is being in the outdoors and I, uh, I moved to Canada for a couple of years or so that was the plan and during my trip you know a few months in I, I take a side trip to California end up in the Joshua Tree National Park and uh, I, you know I, I, I slip on a solo day hike and you know break my pelvis and um, so I'm when you say there. slip let's let's clarify this again Mike <laughs> mentioned it in his podcast as well you slipped 20 to 25 feet. That's not a slip. That's a straight up fall and bust your ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I literally busted my ass. This is the thing. Uh, yeah. I, literally, I literally hit rock bottom. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you know, I was trying to, um, I was, I was trying to find, the trail. I didn't. I didn't know I was lost, but I was trying. Basically, I, I. It was. I knew there was some scrambling and some bouldering on this this trail, and I was up on this boulder stack. I had to try and make, find my footing to get across the other side to what I thought was the trail on the other side of it. And it was then that I lost my footing. I was testing the foothold. Yeah. I lost the foothold. I slipped and then dropped, and then hit the ground. How did that go again? <laughs> <laughs> It, yeah, really it was crack, but you know. <laughs> I, I think you actually mentioned there was a loud howl uh, when you hit the ground. So I imagine, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like an animal sound that just comes out. So. Oh my gosh! You know, I when Mike when Mike's mentioned that in in his episode, I, I was I remember sitting myself like, man, I like I've fallen off stuff, and you know who hasn't fallen out of a tree or you know tripped right. over something and you bust your head or something? And you're like, oh gosh. But for those like you who have fallen and really really been injured, there's a there's a whole new level of pain. There's a whole new level of you're like, what the heck was that? So and that's what. It's on another level, the, the, the funny thing is, it, I'd never broken a bone before that. And, oh, um, also that was and, a first timer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and it, there's always this sort of uh, unspoken unsp joke that if I do something, it's the hard way. So it's like the first time I break a bone, it has to be like full on 
shatter my pelvis, you know, like go, just really go for it. There's no point doing anything by halves. Um, but that, but the pain is really hard to remember now. And I think that the brain actually, you know, it, it, the doctor said to me, he said, you, you will forget the pain because the, the brain does, you know, is designed that way that you forget pain. It's hard to remember it after the fact because it's sort of, it's a, it's a defense thing. And also yeah. I suppose it's that way, you know, otherwise woman would never give birth more than once. Cause it's like, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, there's a physiological reason for that. So it's hard to remember it now, but um, you know, it, it, I mean, I'm glad for that. Cause it was the worst pain I've ever, ever felt. Yeah. Not good. All right. So, so you're laying in the desert for four days and what people don't understand, and this is something that, you know, you touch on a little bit in the book, as far as, you know, what you're going through throughout the day, but, you don't realize how long that those minutes are until you're laying there and you literally can't move. And you're like, Oh, Oh, this is, this is going to be a long time. So for yeah. you to sit there in the desert for four days and that, yeah, like I, I've been through survival schools. I've been through some training that was pretty hardcore and every minute I'm like, Oh my God, is this ever going to be over? And you're, you, you're stuck. Like you can't do anything. No, they, they, they were the longest four days of my life, obviously. But, uh, you know, it, it, every year I sort of, when the date comes up of the day that I fell and for the next four days, I'm very aware of them. And I, I kind of, you know, I make, I kind of don't even intentionally do that, but I think I would intentionally do it if I wasn't already so conscious of it because I sort of think, wow, I would still be lying there right now. And then the next day I'd still be lying there right now. And in my, you know, my current real-time life, I'm doing so much. And it's like, how am I still lying out there? You know, because yeah. we fill our days and it, 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 and I think people have appreciated this during the pandemic, but you know, when your days are, are less busy, it, it, you know, our concept of time completely shifts. Right. So when you're lying in one spot and, you're just waiting as well and, and not knowing how long you're going to be waiting for. I mean, that, that, that version of time is, is, you know, like on another realm, it's really slow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You're not kidding. And you know, some of the stuff you talk about in your book is, is as you're lying there and you you're trying to deal with desert heat, uh, getting sunburned. <clears throat> you're uh, remind me again, you were in shorts uh, a tank top and you had a spare yeah. t-shirt with you correct exactly yes man that's pretty good i remember all that from you you talking <laughs> to me on a book you got pretty, it. my wife says i don't listen all right honey hey. yes i do <laughs> Witness. Uh, um as you're laying in the desert totally broken i i know you go into some details and stuff but like what it, what are you thinking throughout the time you're there. I mean, I, again, the book is very descriptive, but you're there for four days in one spot. I, you know what? I'll tell you what. Side story. I went out hiking with my daughter Haley, and and you just got to talk to her. She's super sweet, right? Yeah. I sat down on a rock for about five minutes. I was like, man, my butt hurts. I need to move. Four days. Four days in the desert. Ridiculous. You know, I. I mean, thank you for for that story because honestly I think people get so uh you know quite rightly uh they're thinking so much about the pain of the broken pelvis but just the pain of lying in one spot and not being able to move like that that discomfort was also really overwhelming um even after one day like 24 hours of, of literally pressing against the same points in your body on your back and your heels and everything it's like oh man that was a that was that was a different pain but it was there as well so it sort of compounded on, on top of what because if I wasn't moving the pelvis I could kind of manage that pain but then you've got the rest of the body is just like radiating with this, yeah. this really strong ache and it would just get worse and worse and worse the pressure of it I think you actually mentioned in the book uh about having a rock like either in your like upper back or in your behind your head or something and you, and you, little, you could, yeah. yeah the little pebbles and you're like oh my god this is freaking ridiculous yeah yeah because you start fixating on things and and uh yeah. but you know Which, the 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 way the mind goes when you're when you're in that zone i mean again i can't even speak from my experience but i really understood what survival mode what they mean by survival mode because you know you hear it and you just think oh you can't i don't well, I, can't, I can't even remember what i used to think survival mode was but 
it, it was, I remember being so surprised at how my brain shifted and it was almost like I could see it shifting and it kind of just really, it was like, I, I just, I've described it before as like a camera lens, like narrowing in and all the stuff that you don't need and all the, my, cause my brown, my brain's so noisy, like all the time. Like I yeah. just cannot get out of my head all the time. But in that moment, all that stuff went away. It's like the brain went, nope, don't have time for this. No, shut it down. We're just going to focus on getting out of here. That's like the, the the soul focus. It really narrowed. And then it was weird. It was almost like, like you know, like in the, the old the sort of the Terminator movies and they've got the robot and all the little computer calculations come up. Yep. And this vision. Yep. It was like that. And then but in the back of my mind, and it was like it was going through every memory I'd ever had to see if there's anything useful it could use. And I was almost like I could be aware of it. Yeah, it, wow. it, it's so weird. And it's like, I'm not doing any of this. This is just my brain going right. <laughs> yeah, you, you're, you're, thinking, you're overthinking everything. I'm just going to go ahead and, and try and do some calculations here. And so, like, you know, I, I mentioned in the book, like, it, later on, like, thinking about, say, drinking urine. It, like, yeah. I, I didn't, never thought I'd have to do it. I've never been taught whether you should or not. I just... I'd read about people who'd survived like being at sea and stuff and having to do that. And I thought, well, okay then, you know, and so anything that I had digested and consumed at some point in my life was it's there in the back of my mind. And I always think I have a terrible memory, but when you need to, your brain will kind of be like, no, no, no. I, I, I put that aside like in 1996 and I'm just going to come back and use it now. And that was fascinating to me is sort of seeing that survival mode happen. Yeah. And that, uh, by the way, the, the whole urine side, I, I don't want to, do a big spoiler alert, but uh, seeing you brought it up, that is one of the survival trips that they had taught us in survival school for desert stuff is that you can recycle that. It's not ideal, but it yeah. is a survival tool because it's, it's your body has excess uh, water in it. It's getting rid of your, you are correct where you're getting rid of the bad stuff out of your body, but at the same time, it's water. It's right. water your body doesn't need anymore. Can back. we talk about that for a second? Actually? Absolutely, please do. Yeah, because um, I'm so fascinated. Then, and honestly, I'll preface this by saying I really don't care about what strangers on the internet have, what their opinions of me are. But, but I find yeah. it really funny that that I will constantly have comments from people saying, "Oh, you shouldn't have drank your own urine. You're not supposed to do that. Everybody knows that." And they're really condescending. I'm like, whatever. Like when you're in that yeah. when you're in that position, you can decide what to drink, whatever yeah. you want. Um, next time you're laying in the desert for four days come tell me you're not going to do that yeah it's like you know I know that if you drink it too much it's it's going to start being counter-effective and it's like well when you're you're either going to die of you know dehydration or you might die of renal failure from drinking too much urine like if those are your options you just have to pick one like I mean come on so I'd love to hear it from someone who actually knows this stuff to to tell me more about that so I wish I had actually more information for you. I remember watching uh, Bear Bear Grylls. Bear, Bear, yeah, yeah. And he talks about it on his. Like, oh, you're stuck at sea. You drink your own urine because that is the, you, you're not going to drink seawater. There's too much salt. And it actually dehydrates you more. You know, I'm not saying anybody out there start going drinking your own urine. Like right after. Yeah, there's lots of things you know, to drink if you have options. Like, you're right. Yeah, but when yeah, you're yeah. down to nothing and you have zero man you go I, i'll be the first to say i'll do it i'm stuck in the desert for four days with a broken hip you better believe it yeah. so <laughs> you just do it and um and honestly the other thing is i think that because what you need probably more than anything um is to have something to hold on to and to like the, where the mind goes the body follows right so it's like i was very aware of that too so i had to keep my head in a good space and when you're that thirsty, like having something to drink can actually be as, you know, impactful as, as anything to, yeah. to keep you in good spirits. Wow. So that, you know, you saying that there's, there's this will to survive, you know, right. and here's survivors like yourself that have come out of the forest, the desert, the whatever, the, the sea, they're stuck in the ocean for 30 days. They have this will to survive. That was you for four days. <laughs> And, and there are things like I was going to ask you about, you know, survival schools and whatnot. You had already mentioned it uh, earlier that now you hadn't had any, but you went through stuff that we are trained. And one of them is recognize you're in a survival situation. I'm going to go over this a little bit later as well. But the other one is you start inventorying what's in your pack. All right. What do I have with me? Oh, I've got a map. I can, I can use that. I, 
I've got my other shirt. I can use it. I've got a hat. I can use that. And you're like, wow, I got a, I got a walking stick that I made a cross out of. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, like this is, this is just the brain kind of going like, we don't have time to think about, you know, how scary this is. We've, we've got to think about what have you got? What can we use? And it was almost just like something else took over and um, literally running through. Also, another later on, I would run through my pack and think, what else can I drink? Which of course is like literally nothing. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's that whole going, right, what have we got? What can we use? And and kind of, you know, everyone's, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm an 80s child, but any, any everyone's in a MacGyver kind of comes out, right? And, and it's sort of like, right, I need some duct tape. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. My gosh. All right. I want to throw some mad props out here to your uh, two friends who you went down to house it for. Um, please remind me of their names again. Natalie and Lou. Natalie and Lou. Natalie and Lou, good job. Like um, yeah. uh, from me to you guys, amazing. to Like just to make the phone call to be, hey, can you go check on her? Something's up. And that's good friends. So yeah. everybody yeah. out there, you need friends like Nat and Lou. Okay. People, so, yeah. You need, you take notice people. <laughs> yeah. Because the fact that they made a phone call, that something was odd, something was off. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. And then uh, I want to get into now like the, the Riverside County guys now. So, because this would be me, the phone right. call comes into us. Hey, we've got a missing hiker. For me, uh, in the Coast Guard, it was like, oh, we've got a missing kayaker or we have a missing vessel. And and I can tell you, and I can probably speak for the majority of people out there, you get a phone call like that and you're like, oh, here we go again. Let's just burn some fuel over a search pattern for like the next 18 hours looking for somebody that's probably drinking whiskey and got drunk at the bar down the road. <laughs> so I'm not saying that those guys did that. All right. So uh, Mike or Manny and Eric and, and Mike and all those guys, no, they didn't do that. All right. Not for you. Okay. <laughs> but uh, the, so the call comes into them and says, Hey, we've got a mission hiker. Cause they find the car you're using in the parking lot at the beginning of the trail. Um, but so for us, when we're going out, you are that needle in a haystack. And it's, it's interesting because now you're at, let's say, you know, hundred feet above the terrain and you create search patterns. You actually mentioned this in the book as well, where you hear the helo come close and then the helicopter goes away. Helicopter starts to come close and then it goes away. And that's us doing our search pattern. And we're, you know, trying to be very specific. Okay. I've looked and you're, you're doing your, your up, down, left, right, you know, your pattern grid searching for people. For oh, see, I, I just thought they were just toying with me. Oh, <laughs> They may have been. I, you know, I wasn't in the aircraft. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Like, oh, no, just kidding. Oh, ah, like, not too close. Oh, bye. Oh. Here we are. No, bye. Yeah. But now, so, so for everybody out there that's a survivor, what we are doing, we are trying to do our best to cover as much land area as possible. We're going to do different search patterns, overlap search patterns to make sure we, we get a grid. Um, when, it, when we were talking to Mike, he had, so they were getting ready. They were just about out of fuel, which we call bingo. And we're going back to the airport and they were like, Hey, let's check out this one spot, which somebody was at 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And here I mean, you are hearing it coming in. So I, all right, so this is where I guess I got to ask you a question. Now you start hearing the helicopter come closer. What is going through your mind? I mean, I was at my lowest ebb at that point. Um, and I mean, I, I'd, I'd always, I had never given up hope, but I think just that was the, the day that my hope was so diminished and I was, I was really kind of in and out of it. I was so dehydrated. Um, I, I have to say, I loved them. I told the, the effing coyote story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, coyote. Yeah, I, and I really, I always wondered, I thought I'd, should I put that in the book? I don't want to make them sound unprofessional because obviously they are, you know, gold star professionals, but it was such a wonderful, funny moment. And it was, it really was the thing that snapped me back into consciousness um, and made such a difference. And so I was able to hear the helicopter. Um, so, you know, it, when I realized that they were out looking, it was just, I was so like recharged, like this adrenaline was like, and I remember I was like shaking, like, this is, I need, I need them to come and see me. But of course I, 
you know, when I fell, it was only after I fell, I realized I was off the trail by a mile. So it was this real sense of, oh my gosh, they're not even going to come, come looking over here. And it was only much later on um, that, that Manny was telling, Manny was telling me how Eric had, had suggested they kind of exit this one part of the, the park, which is where I was. And yeah. it, like, I get tingles thinking about that because it could have been so different, right? And it's just this one person who has this, you know, had this experience and was able to kind of, you know, I, I don't know, it's just tiny little pieces. It's It just really blows my mind. And I saw the photo that Manny took of the uh, location. And, you know, it, it, again, blows my mind. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they saw me. They're just, they're incredible. They really are. Well, they saw you because of your signal is and, and you know mike talks about it specifically with you know and you talk about it in your book where you're holding the, the stick up and you've got your hat and the the plastic bag and your shirt and anything wait hey here i am and it's it's something for us in the air like it's it's that abnormal it's oh what was that and then you know you bang a u-turn and you come back and you're like oh 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 <laughs> <laughs> What is it? So, out of curiosity, when they were, did they yell at you and be like, "Hey, are you Claire?" Did they call you out? <laughs> well, you know, they 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 said we see you, and I was like, "Ah, oh, it's like that was just the I, honestly, it was the greatest greatest moment of my life. That we see you, we're gonna come get you." And I just, you know, because at that point, I'd given everything that I had uh, into. That, that that last time they came over, it was like gave them everything that I had. I had reinforced the sunshade I'd made with the stick. I, you know, so I had a plastic, white plastic bag on it. I'd put my hat on top of that, which was white. And it was like, I was holding it as high up as I could. I was, I was trying to wave it super fast so that again, like it would look like it wouldn't yeah. be like a slow wave. It was a fast wave. And, you know, my whole body was in pain doing this, but I gave it everything and it paid off. But when they said those words, it was like, I could just literally, I literally collapsed everything, just dropped my stick. And it was like, I, I don't have to fight anymore. And it was, it was just the, I, there's just no way I can't describe that elation, that moment of kind of going, well, I'm going to die here. And then being like, Oh, wait, no, I'm not. And you, know, it, you kind of go into shock a bit. It, it, it's just indescribable euphoria. Oh my gosh. I love it. That, and hearing That's that from you, is, yeah, because when when we see somebody like you that's down there and we're like, hey, oh, we got you. I mean, I, I had a good night's sleep, or at least I think I did the night before. I just had a full breakfast and now I'm out searching for you and I come across you. I mean, this is this is why we do what we do. It's, you know, I, you didn't you didn't go out on purpose to get lost. It wasn't it was an it's an accident. And this is. That's what I want to come do. I want to come get you. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and this is it. Like, you know, I, I, I also appreciate that not everyone comes out of these situations, you know, able right. to then tell, tell that story. And I want to, I really made, was very adamant that I wanted to kind of be a cautionary tale and be like, look, you know, these are the, this is where I went wrong. This is the mistakes that I made. Um, and, in, and also these are the things that turned out to be, you know, good decisions. Um, and, I mean, I, and I mentioned this in the book too, like, I mean, in New Zealand, um, whenever I'd come back to New Zealand and you read in the paper, because there's always people going missing on, on hikes here. Yeah. And they, they understand, we don't have, we don't have animals that are going to kill you, but the weather will kill you. Oh, oh, so, in New Zealand specifically. In New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's, it's like none of our animals are going to get you. Um, but the, the weather will get you. So people will underestimate that and they, um, and they get caught out and it, and you know you i'd read these stories of people and they haven't told anyone where they're going and they haven't dressed appropriately and i'll kind of roll my eyes and be like oh people need to learn how to you know what they're doing when they go into the outdoors and then i go and do the same freaking thing yeah yeah and, and i was so you know i was embarrassed about that but then it's like well but this is the thing like you can think you know what you're doing and in, in a way the more comfortable and confident you get the more complacent you get the, the fewer steps you take when you stop feeling scared when you're doing something and you stop feeling the risks, you stop preparing for the risks. And I think that's the big problem. Yeah. Um, and I think two people can feel very secure when they're in somewhere like a national park where there are established trails, you think, Oh, this is safe. They wouldn't just let people come in here and walk around and flip flops and go on these trails. If, you know, if it was dangerous, but 
like it's it's the land that's protected in a national park. The people you, know, you still got to look out for yourself. Um, true you statement. Know. Very true statement. So you know, I, I really, really feel like now that I can you know share this with people, then that's kind of that's my responsibility now to do that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to the California Highway Patrol boys as well because the you had they had a female uh, EMT come yes. down and load you on a backboard and it, yeah. so you actually call it you what you I, I laughed about this in the book when they're like I felt like I was being put in a body bag I'm not dead yet <laughs> I was like ah that's funny you let me open a body bag just like <laughs> literally just one little hole in it and I have to say actually shout out because that was Jen and Jen also was mentioned in Mike's story as being the one driving this the ride driving the flying the Cessna and who found that guy who'd been out there for seven days that's oh. the same Jen same same person she's just uh, incredible <laughs> amazing yeah I, she's she's awesome oh, she's I, yeah yeah and then the, and the pilot at at, uh, at chp he, he was flying the the helicopter and with the stretcher i mean like i didn't obviously I, I had no way of telling where i was but apparently the winds were really high yeah. and it was uh, it was a really difficult uh procedure to kind of to drop jen into the the canyon um and so you know and then you know between them and um so there were the three crew on CHP and then Manny and Eric from Riverside um, County Sheriff and the five of them, they were given an outstanding service award. And I was like, so, so happy for that. And like, that's just, you know, they should be getting the accolades. It's amazing. Well, I, we, we give them a little bit right now. You're here with me. So you get it. So <laughs> <laughs> they, they already had their turn. It's your turn now. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You guys, I'm kidding. You guys are amazing. Oh, it's funny. Um, so you, you get hoisted out of there, which is something else that, you know, again, for people that don't know that with broken hips, as you're getting hoisted out, and I don't even know if you would remember this being hoisted out. Uh, I know it's not detailed very much in the book, but, uh, the, the Bowman bag or the, the, the bag that you were put into is hoist capable and it That's actually, so cool. well, it depends on the brand, but there's a Bowman okay. bag, pet bag, uh, there's a new couple other ones out there, which I can't remember okay. right now. That's terrible. But no, I love it because I don't know any of this stuff and I'm constantly fascinated oh, about how you guys do it. Hey, this, uh, let me help Tell you. me more. Tell me more. Oh, all, right, all right. It's good. It's good. Yeah. So basically, once they got you onto the backboard, um, which I understand was agonizing pain to have you roll over that, you know, yes. again, broken hips. And uh, like the tough part about that is, that Jen came down and she didn't have any medication to give you like no morphine. Like, yeah, you felt everything as you're getting ready to roll. Oh. It was worse than when I actually fell the first time that pain yeah. was everything kind of settled in and then they had to roll me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a moment. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I understand it. I feel you. Um, but yeah. And then the next thing you know, you're getting hoisted in the, I'm going to call it the Bowman bag. And the Bowman bag squeezes the body as it gets hoisted. So, and then you, once you get to the aircraft, now the hoist operator now has to bring you in as gently as possible. Again, for us that are not injured, we're, we're there to save you. It's you're gentle, but you're only gentle enough to, I'm going to yeah. get this in as safely as possible. So. I, I remember the hoist. I remember it because the, the board was slightly like, you know, moving. Ah. So, slightly underneath me so it was like ow, ow, ow. but you know it, it at the same time this was the greatest moment of my life so it was a strange sort of euphoria and pain but excitement and sort of at the same time not quite processing that this was really happening and I wasn't lying on the floor of the desert anymore and I remember yeah. seeing um uh I think the flight officer's name it was Chad Thomas and he I, I just see this helmet like this kind of astronauty helmet like yeah you know see the tiny little hole in the bag and I'm getting closer and closer and then because I didn't get pulled into the, the the aircraft, I was underneath it, and then they they took me to a um, a, a landing area so that then the the medical. Well, that's right because they fly an A star out there, which is a smaller. Right. That's right. I forgot about that. Okay. Yeah, so I'm underneath it. I'm like dangling, <laughs> and I was kind of a part of me was like, it's a shame I can't see out because this is you know be kind of amazing. But um, then they took me to a landing uh, area, and then I was I was picked up by the um, the Mercy Air helicopter and then they they took me in and they gave me morphine and it was like oh, okay i need um, yeah more morphine keep, yeah keep, keep, keep I, it coming yeah, yeah it coming. That, that feels that feels way better than a broken hip yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay i need more morphine I'm like we can't give you anymore it's like no i need more yeah. 
Yes, you can. You know. yeah, yes, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, you're holding holding out on me here. So, <laughs> yeah. wow, yeah, that's that whole side of it is is unreal. Like, and I I get, I understand exactly what you talk about and and the whole thing, and then I understand the guys that are on the on the line or Jen girls that that do this. They go out and. And, you know, we're, we're going to do everything we can to make you comfortable and, and get you out of a bad situation because you're in a bad situation. We want to get you to a good situation. <laughs> yeah. So. And the thing is, like, the, the amount, I mean, I've, I did, obviously, prior to this, my only understanding of, of, of these sort of scenarios is, like, search and rescue people come in and then the helicopter might come in and, like, hoist you out. But to really, to see it in action and to hear more about it from you guys and to understand it, it's like the, the, the skill that's involved is just phenomenal. And... You know, everything from Manny and Eric having to find somewhere to land their, their helicopter there, to then hike down. And, you know, like, I mean, one of them dropped the radio because it was tricky climbing <laughs> and broke the radio, not naming names, but, uh, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, it's a government radio there, boys. That, that, that caught, uh... <laughs> it, it was fine. It was fine. Uh, a little bit of duct tape. It was fine. Um, but then, to, you know, then having to, like, put themselves in that situation to get down there and then having to you know call in sort of some more skilled people to use their incredible skills to get over me and drop this you know it's just all of that involved and then they have to get back out again I, I, I actually only realized later on that like I never really asked many Eric how they got out I obviously I know that they, they did but you know that's that's incredible work you know, for, for one person who's who's got themselves into a situation, yeah. then there's five people who have had to bring this incredible amount of skill to it. It just blows me away, and I never really understood it. And then for a long time, I never understood or realized that there, were, there was more than I, – I just thought everyone was search and rescue. I didn't understand there was different, um, you know, different units um, from, you know, sort of sheriff county sheriff units and, and highway patrol units. I didn't understand any of that. And um, so it's, it's been, been an incredible – realization yeah then all of that it's uh, the whole search and rescue world i i love every bit of it i i really do um i mean my my i'll call it my bread and butter or or my passion is the helicopter world um but there are so many volunteer teams that will go hiking through different deserts you know arizona has one montana has one there's stuff up here in the northeast of uh of america you know new england area it's 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 just what everybody does. Like it's your friends that are out there hiking. So you go join us search rescue party. And next thing you know, you're out searching for your buddy or whatever, you know? So, yeah. Um, so one of the things that you talk about in your book, which is, is kind of funny and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit is you're not a very religious person. And, uh, and however, you do say that, you know, your religion would be your outdoors. Is that about, about accurate? That's, yeah, that'd be about right. I mean, I suppose nature has become that the natural world that we live in is very much where I feel most spiritual and, and most connected to something other, you know, otherworldly, yeah. you know, is the most worldly aspect of our lives. It's also my most spiritual uh, environment. Which I'm all about. I, I, I do. Now, I, I am a religious guy. You know, I, I, I go to church. I, I give my 10%. At least I try to, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I talk about this in some of my other episodes where, you know, I graduated swimmer school and the guy that came in to talk to us on the day before graduation, he said, you know, those that are in distress are playing for a miracle and they're going to get you. And he's pointing at me and the, the other guys in my class. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's a that's kind of a lot loaded on, on us. And you don't realize it until you have somebody that like yourself. So, the question is going to be, were you praying for a miracle? Oh yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. I prayed. I, I wished on shooting stars. It sounds really corny, but it's, it's great. It's, I, it's... I did pray. I prayed to whatever was out there. I, I honestly, and, and I feel like the universe still to this day pushes me in directions I'm supposed to go and gives me signals if I'm just opening myself up to it. So some people for them, that is religion for them. There is a God. For me, I just call it the universe. It's like whatever it is, but you know, and and having and especially after this experience, and I was holding on to something. I mean, it's hope, isn't it? And I think a lot of religion, it just comes down to sort of 
hope and love, right? And and so those are the things that keep us alive. So I was praying and and, and wishing and, and calling out to that. And, you know, and then, you know, it did something, something came from above and, and rescued me. Literally. <laughs> Literally. There's so, a helicopter overhead from above. It's <laughs> like, you know, like, you're really cool looking angels basically so yeah in, in like a darth vader helmet it's cool right <laughs> really badass is that weird i'm not really sure but <laughs> it works for me it works for me <laughs> oh my gosh that's hilarious um <laughs> i, I this is your story is incredible it really is the, the whole survival story i i couldn't get enough of the book i i'm honored to have you here you know, just talking to Mike, I couldn't get enough from Mike. And he only talks about your story for about 11 minutes. But <laughs> it's, that's why I, I'm so happy you're here. Um, I would like to turn it over to you a little bit. And, and actually, I want to do two things. I want to I want to touch on the seven steps of survival for everybody out there. And then I want to ask you kind of what you carry now in your pack. You know, if you go and hiking, whether it's a day hike, whether it's a couple of days, whatever it is. Um, so let me start with this is the seven steps of survival for everybody out there is if, and this is stuff that we learn as swimmers, as rescue men. And the first one is you need to recognize you're in that survival situation for you, Claire, you had a broken hip. You couldn't walk. So yeah. that was an easy recognition. Very easy. Take so, Right. <laughs> Check mark. Okay. Um, for some of us out there that have, again, you, t- you said it yourself where you get confident uh, you get a little complacent and you're just, oh, I'm just going for a day hike. And you don't realize you get off the trail. You know, I've heard of guys that have go snowboarding and go snowboarding off the trail. Next thing you know, they're in chest deep snow and they're stuck. You know, wow. stuff like this happens all the time. So you need to recognize that you're in that situation. The second thing that you need to do. So step number two is inventory. And that is get everything together. Now, clear the greatest part about your story is you did this naturally. You reached into your pack and you're like, okay, what have I got? You've got two maps. You've got a boatload of sunscreen. Wait, slip, slap. Slip, slop, slap. Slip, slop, slap. I was close. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So inventory, everything that's in your pack, everything that you can be used uh, for stuff. And that's what you think is not relevant is all of a sudden relevant. And, and you learn that with something as simple as a map, you know, a map of the local area. Um, the next one is shelter. So step number three is shelter and creating a shelter. And that's to get out of the elements, whether it's in the sun or in the winter uh, or in the cold. And what was interesting, again, about your story is you did this naturally by creating a barrier using the map. I, again, I don't want to give away all your details of this book, but mm-hmm. you created somewhat of your own shelter as best that you could with what you had to work with. I, I think it was brilliant. So um, step four, signals. You made your own signal, that emergency signal. I, there are all sorts of signals out there, smoke, uh, flares, signal mirrors, a white trash bag and a shirt on the end of a stick that just doesn't look like normal terrain. That's what that, you know, it, it's kind of funny, you know, you see all those movies of um, like uh, the, what was the one with Tom Hanks there? Um, Castaway. Castaway. Mm. You know, you write help on the, you know, on the, on the ground, you're burning fires, you're doing whatever right. you can. Now you haven't broken hips and not being able to move. That's, that's, that's a whole nother dynamic. Step five is going to be water. Anything you can consume to stay hydrated because as you talk about in your book, your hydration is you can only live about three days without water. And then after that, it's your body is going to dry up. And again, you talk about it quite a bit, uh, just the feeling of being dehydrated. So step six is going to be food which convenient enough, you can't actually eat without being hydrated. And we kind of learned that too, didn't we, Claire? Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny is people ask me more than anything else, like, but how did you go, how did you go without food? And like, weren't you hungry? Honestly, that shuts down until you've got enough water, your body doesn't care about food. And that was so interesting to experience that. Yeah. As someone who's really like constantly hungry and usually stuffing my face. Um, With uh, they, delicious food all the time from all over the world. Well, yes, this is, this is like it was my, this is my, 
was my lifestyle. And then, uh, no, it just when you, you need water, your body's like, no, I, I don't want to eat. Plus, you can't swallow and you can't you can't chew. So yeah. Hmm. Uh, and then step seven is to play, and I, this is not something. So play is to keep your mind occupied and pick a oh. game and you take little pebbles and you're trying to land it in the can over in the area or whatever you create games to keep yourself entertained um that's actually something that we never talked about uh and you don't actually talk about too much in your book did you find yourself at all while you were laying there just kind of playing it like maybe grabbing a pebble maybe counting something or no, but that's really interesting. I didn't know that was one of the survival uh, steps because for me, I had this digital camera um, and I was using it to kind of video my... And people, I don't know, there's a lot of misunderstanding about why I was doing that. Um, it, it was people like, she's vlogging and she's done. Like, no, I'm not. It was never meant for people to see it. It was really just... You know, I, I write, I journal, I do this stuff. Obviously, I didn't have the opportunity to do that, but I was just making these videos and just sort of sometimes I was ranting. Sometimes I was making little jokes. Like I was doing this, I had this lip balm and I was eating, it was van- vanilla flavored. I still use the same one. And I um, it was eating it to try and take the taste of urine away. And so I think at one point the heat was so bad and I was going out of my mind and I was doing these funny little infomercials to myself, like, like don't leave home without it, you know, and yeah and that's play play and this is keeping your mind occupied yeah 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 i mean that's i never knew that that's really look at you (laughs) you're doing it on your own you didn't even know (laughs) either that or i was just really going a bit bonkers no uh, well maybe no maybe Wow. Well, so those are the seven steps of survival and and you you literally hit every single one of them in like just naturally oh. that, that natural survive again that that will to survive and that's what you did uh it's amazing so so now the question to you what do you pack in your survival kit now anytime you leave well first of all loads of water yeah yeah oh. i get i get very stressed out when i don't when i feel like i'm going to be short on water for obvious reasons that sort of that level of dehydration never leaves you um the I take them, this was a, a great tip, you know, like I got from, um, from the Riverside unit guys so to take a, a mirror, a signal mirror, signal mirror. which I, I never, I never knew that before. And it was, what's great is I put that in the, some survival tips at the end of the book and, and uh, people's message would be going, I didn't know about the mirror. I'm going to take a mirror now. And I'm just like, Oh, I'm so happy. Cause you know, <laughs> this information on like, you know, I'm just the messenger, but um, so I take a signal mirror, and I should actually, I'm actually in New Zealand at the moment. I'm just finishing up two weeks of quarantine, um, having arrived two weeks ago. And I'm, I'm coming for an extended visit. And since I am here for an extended time, I'm doing a through hike to hike across the country, the whole length of New Zealand. Yes. And so I've really, yeah, so I've never done anything quite like this before, but um, I'm excited and, and trepidatious. But I really, of course, thinking about, you know, what I need. I'm, I'm taking, taking a satellite uh, communicator. Um, obviously leaving my plans with people um, and <laughs> yeah and making sure like yeah and, and making sure that I have sufficient layers that I'm not going to freeze and I'm not going to overheat and, and really thinking these things through like you know going into this far less gung-ho than I might have done a few years ago and really thinking through like all all possibilities of what could go wrong and preparing for that man that's that's great that's great so in a pocket knife. Oh, in a pocket. Oh, yeah, yeah. you gotta bring a coffee. This army knife, yeah. yeah. Gotta have a knife. That's, that's in the rules. You gotta have a knife. Always <laughs> pack a knife. Right. <laughs> uh, um, you're. How did you? How did you get back on the trail? Like, wh- how did you switch your mindset to to not be scared to go back out? Do you know, it's funny. I I was never scared to go back, and and I was. I think I was still probably on the hoist when I decided I was going to come back to the trail. Oh, that's I'm, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I think as soon as I was off the ground, it was like, I'm going to come back here and I'm going to finish this. And um, what was great about that is it was a motivation to make sure I recovered properly. Like I'm not a patient person. I'm not good at sitting still. Um, I, the last thing I wanted to be was sitting in a wheelchair 
in rural New Zealand at my mum's house, having been told I just have to like rest and recover. I was like, this I, this is not what I want to be doing right now. I was you, so rest- you can say, but, you say, this sucks. This sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is like, this is, this is so far from where I wanted to be and living my life. But I knew that I wanted to get back on the trail so bad um, that, and, and I'd fallen in love with the Joshua Tree area. I was like, I want to go back so much, but I can't go back and do that unless I make sure I recover properly. And so it was both a motivation to get better, but to get better properly and to, you know, make sure I do a lot of physio and I really look after myself. And, and so when I got to go back there, it was, it felt like a reward. Like it wasn't scary. Um, It was, it, it, the whole, I mean, everything after that day felt like a reward, right? Like it was a bonus. And, um, and what was wonderful was, was going back and taking friends with me so they could come on that journey with me. And um, I only found it like after the fact that one of my, my, my dear friends who came on that hike um, hadn't done a, a full day hike before. So she was like, she really went for it. And she was amazing. Um, but, you know, we, we did this together and I don't know, I, I felt the whole time it was surreal because every, every time I was, you know, on this trail, I was very aware of the fact of like, oh, but I'm also over there somewhere, like lying out in the canyon. It was almost like it was real time. And like these two parallels, like I'm here walking with my friends, but I'm also out there by myself, like dying. And I couldn't get that out of my mind the whole time, which made it just feel, I felt grateful literally every single step of that hike. It was wonderful. That's incredible. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. (laughs) And I hope to go back and do it again. Like, yeah. Call me. I'll go with you. I'll take take the whole crew. Just come come out. Oh, that's, that, I love that. Um, with some of your recovery stuff, you know, I know actually Haley had asked you this earlier, but do, how's, how's the recovery? And you said your ankle was kind of messed up, but. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the ankle, the funny thing was, it was so much, um, obviously the hip was a priority. Um, yeah. You know, it was badly broken. I affected my mobility. Um, I'd also really badly sprained the ankle, but because I wasn't even putting weight on it for six months, like it kind of went, and not unnoticed but it wasn't the priority and so it still causes me a lot of issues um obviously I'm preparing to go on this big hike so I've I've just had some steroids uh injected into it and you know there's a lot of uh fluid on the ligament and it's a lot like the way that I've been walking for the past three years has kind of got a little bit pronated so there's the things I need to really manage it and I think I'll always be managing that leg and that ankle for the rest of my life but it I I almost don't mind it because it it just reminds me constantly that this could have been so much worse. And it sounds wow. weird, but it's like, that is almost like a little daily, this little niggle is like a little bell going like, you could be dead. You might not that I need reminding it, but it is, it's, it's, I don't mind it as long as it's not going to stop me from doing the things that I really want to be doing. And so far, knock on wood, it, it's, it's been manageable. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm totally stoked. You're going back out and to a major <laughs> hike too. Hey? That's amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's going to be a big one. <laughs> Gosh, I love it. Um, one of the things that I personally carry in my survival kit, I'm going to throw this out. Yeah. So is uh, they, they have little plastic, um, like they're almost like pill bottles, but they're, they're waterproof. Anyway, they're match match containers and i put waterproof matches in one and then cotton balls and vaseline in the other so you can start a fire anyway little flint just like that yeah it's perfect (laughs) i'm i'm doing that i'm gonna be taking it now that's a great tip yeah that's a good tip so um and then actually i'll I'll give everybody one more which was passed to me for water's sake is this came from my friend jason bunch who uh, i was stationed up in alaska with and he would He'd bring a, a small filter, like a water filter, fill up his Nalgene bottle. And every time he came to a river, he would drink the entire Nalgene bottle and then refill it with uh, the river water and then continue walking. So you were always 100% uh, hydrated until the next river. Excellent. I was like, That's a good idea. So yeah, that's one of the things that I good. do. You end up peeing a lot more than you want to, but at least you know you're hydrated. <laughs> that's the main thing. That's the right? main thing. <laughs> it's either that or you end up drinking pee and so i know which one i'd rather have yeah i'll take the river <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah totally, totally. <laughs> oh my gosh 
Uh, Claire, again, you know, the floor is kind of open to you. Is there anything else you would pass to anybody else out there that, that goes hiking or that? I just don't think that, uh, that it won't happen to you. You know, it, I mean, people who I hear from people all the time now, which is wonderful who say, you know, you know, I'm always hiking or I'm always walking or I just go for long walks because they live somewhere that's kind of out in the countryside. And I never think to tell anyone where I'm going because why would you? And you do it all the time, right? You think it's, you feel a bit silly doing it, but you know, when you, it's the easiest thing you can do. Just be like, Hey, I'm going out on this walk. Just let somebody know your intention. I think that's just the, the key thing above anything else that you do. But yeah, like none, none of us is fallible. It doesn't matter how experienced you, you are. Like when, when it's human versus nature, like we are the, the very uh, breakable, <laughs> tiny, insignificant part of that puzzle. So just, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't think it won't happen to you be smart about it always take more water it, it upsets me when i read about people being rescued because they've gone out in the desert and they haven't taken any water or they've taken one bottle between three of them or something yeah. like just no 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 because the thing with water people go it's heavy it's like it's gonna get lighter as you yeah. go you're drinking it okay <laughs> you'll be glad you had it just don't skimp on the water please <laughs> <laughs> it sucks when you dehydrate it it really does brilliant advice i'm brilliant well claire i thank you so much for coming on and sharing the story with us uh for everybody out there things i learned from following by claire nelson if you haven't read it if you haven't heard of it go get it go listen to it go read it it's what an incredible story incredible thank you so much jason honestly and i was so happy to do this because you guys who, who do search and rescue guys, honestly, like my, my hat will be eternally tipped off to you guys. It, it, I can't thank you all enough for what you do. And you go out every day. And I know you get to fly helicopters and it's super cool and it's super <laughs> badass. But, you know, you're doing that and you're putting yourself on the line all the time. And you, you, what you're doing is not insignificant in any way. You're, you're, you're saving lives constantly. You're getting the bad guys. You're saving the good guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you too. I appreciate it. Awesome. I'll tell you what. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh, yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.